Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Good morning. Wow, nice to see everybody today. My name is Scott Couch. Uh, I've been, uh, I guess we visited here the first time in I think um, 2007. So what is that, 15 years? And uh, it's been a blessing to be here and we've just seen God do amazing things here and we've seen God do uh, some really amazing things in our family as a result of being here. So uh, we're thrilled that you're here. Um, one of the things that I've been able to do in my lifetime is I've been able to be involved in missions in some different countries. Um, God blessed me with an opportunity to, to, to be in missions when I was younger and then again when I got to be a little bit older. One of the things that always amazed me um, in countries when you'd go to places like Thailand or Haiti, uh, places like um, Ghana, um, you would see idols, and you'd see people doing sacrifices to idols. Um, Haiti, I'll never forget it, uh, being in a poor, poor, poor community. Many of the children starving. We were there to assess to see if it was a place that we could put a, a learning center as, a, as an inroad, uh, helping children that were starving, but then leading them to the Lord and using it as an outreach to the community. People literally trying to find food, scavenge food, grow food, the few that had jobs trying to buy food, and yet in the middle of the community, the nicest structure was this cement shrine. And on the shrine were all of these beautiful fruits. Uh, they looked really good. They were the nicest you could find. They didn't have supermarkets and grocery stores where you went and got those polished apples that, you know, have that thick red wax coat on them. They were, you know, they didn't have the perfect, you know, perfectly yellow bananas, but they found the very best that they had and they were there and nobody would touch them. People would starve, but they wouldn't go to the idol and take what was the idols. And I was amazed watching children eating pebbles just to have something in their stomach sometimes with an idol, with all of this fruit and vegetables and things, jewelry given to the idol. Sacrifice and idol was part of their lives. That was something that they did. And, and it was in every country. Now, sacrifice, an altar, those sorts of things, those aren't a foreign concept. Those aren't a concept that, that, that we'll say is an ungodly concept. The difference is that God, Jehovah God, the same God that we worship, God developed a system of sacrifices that, that it was designed for the people, Think of the story for just a second of Adam and Eve. They were in the garden. The plan was for them to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. I'm going to put this thing down because I'm going to end up slinging it at dawn if I, if I don't by accident. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it down. That, that's a no-no. Uh, she might throw it back. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So this, this idea 
of Adam and Eve in relationship with God, walking with God in the fuel, cool of the day, God revealing to them all that they needed to know. I, I can imagine them walking through the garden, and, and part of what they were to do was to expand the garden, because they were to be fruitful and multiply. The garden was a finite size. Eventually, if they were fruitful and multiplied, they would outgrow the garden. So ergo, you got to grow the garden. You got to expand the garden. And so they're walking through, and I'm sure God looked down at a plant, and he said, now, now do you see that? And Adam probably said, yeah, yeah, what, tell, what is that? And then God said, look, watch this. And if you do this, look, look at how it smells. And by the way, if you rub it on your skin, looks what it, look what it does. And, and, and oh, by the way, you can put it in some water and, and look at how it tastes. And, and God began to teach them all the principles of life that they needed to know. The wisdom, the knowledge, that was the plan. Go to God, get the knowledge. And there was only thing, one thing that they could do wrong, only one choice that they could make there was only truly one sin that could be committed, and that was the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. They, they could go to that tree, which God said, don't do, and they could try and get this knowledge of good and evil, not revelation from God, knowledge of good and evil from a tree instead of directly from God. And so what happened is they made a terrible choice. They listened to some lies, and they ate of this knowledge of good and evil tree. We imagine it to look like an apple. We don't know what it looks like. But what it did was it entered sin into the world for the first time, and as a result of that sin, death. See, God said, if you eat from that tree, you will die. And he didn't mean it's poisonous, you're going to drop dead the very instant you take a bite out of it. What he meant is it's going to bring in a sin nature and a corruption and a spiritual death. And from that point on, you will be separated in death from me. The problem was that at that point in time, when God went to see them, they realized for the first time that they were naked. They realized shame. They realized fear. They realized all of these terrible things. And so God went in and he took an animal and he killed it. And he took off the skin and the blood was shed. And he provided for them a, a temporary covering, some clothes to put on. It was interesting because that was the beginning of blood sacrifice. Later, God institutes in Leviticus a whole process where different types of sacrifices could, could pay for sin. No, not pay for it. Could cover sin. We can read about it. Okay, I probably don't have this on. So let's make sure we get it on. All right. Oh, and it vibrated. That's a good sign. Okay. Look, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 9, and all of our verses are going to be out of Hebrews 9, 10, and just a little bit out of 11. Now, in the first covenant, there were specific rules for worship, Hebrews 9, 2, including a sanctuary on earth to worship in. When you entered in the tabernacle, you would first come into the holy chamber where you would find the lampstand and the bread of his presence and the fellowship table. Oops, 
Can you go back to that video? It just passed the video. My apologies. Now, thanks to CGI, <laughs> I'm not old enough to have video of this. We, I'm glad you're laughing. Some of you guys were seriously considering that. We have a concept of maybe what that tabernacle looked like based on biblical descriptions. It was a portable thing that they carried with them and it represented the presence of the Lord and it was the place where priests did this thing called sacrifice. There was a bread, showbread, and there was a laver, a place to wash, and there was an altar where sacrifices were burned. Continuing as we read on, Hebrews 9.3, then as you pass through the next curtain, you would enter the innermost chamber called the holiest sanctuary of all, the holiest of holies. It contained the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant Mercy, which was a wooden box covered entirely with gold. And placed inside the Ark of Covenant was, uh, excuse me, and placed inside the Ark of Covenant Mercy was the golden jar with mystery manna inside, Aaron's resurrection rod, which had sprouted, and the stone tablets engraved with the covenant laws. So that ark was an amazing thing. It was made very specifically. God had given them a design inside it. Again, the tablets that Moses had received, Aaron's rod, manna. It was a gorgeous, beautiful thing. It could only be carried on long poles and only be carried by the priests. And it was the place where sacrifice blood, covering blood, was applied for the sin of the people just one time a year. Only once could the priest actually go in there in fact, it was such a sacred place that they used to tie a long cord with bells around the priest's leg because if he went in there in an unholy state, God would strike him dead. And then somebody had to get him out of there. <laughs> and nobody wanted to go in to that place where only once a year. <laughs> so they'd pull him out with a rope. On top of the lid of the ark were two cherubim angels of splendor with outstretched wings overshadowing the throne of mercy. And the high priest was permitted to enter into the holiest sanctuary of all only once a year. And he could never enter in without first offering sacrificial blood for both his own sins and for the sins of the people. That process... Very specific, special garments that had to be prepared and worn. Special preparation, a cleansing, hands washed. Sometimes incense, sometimes grain, and sometimes a sheep, a goat, a bull, a turtle dove. They would take the blood of that spotless animal, an animal without any imperfection, 
And that blood was taken in and it was put in certain places in a very specific ceremonial way. At times, parts were burned as a sacrifice. At times, blood was put on different parts, altars. And once a year, the priest would go into that holiest of holy. I'm sure every priest went with great awe and wonder because the ark represented the presence of God on earth. He would take that blood and it would be sprinkled on the altar, designed for a purpose as a covering. Under the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer were sprinkled on those who were defiled and effectively cleansed them outwardly from their ceremonial impurities. The priest would take that blood and it would be used to cleanse, to make outwardly acceptable. Under the old system, year after year, the high priest entered the most holy sanctuary with blood that was not his own. The old system of living under the law presented us with a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. You know, this whole concept of a covering is something that I, I, it, a couple things come to mind when, when we talk about it. Um, Even with a steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there was still nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. Once wasn't enough. So by repetitive sacrifices, year after year, the worshipers were continuously reminded of their sins with their hearts still impure. For what power does the blood of bulls and goats have to remove us from our guilt sin? Yet every day, priests still serve, ritually offering the same sacrifices again and again, sacrifices that could never take away sin's guilt. There were five different types of sacrifices. There were five different purposes, if you will. If you look at the, the sacrifices that are there, you had a burnt offering. That was to make payment for sins in general. There was a, a grain offering. That was to show honor and respect to God. Both of those were voluntary. There was a peace offering. That was to express gratitude to God. But the two non-voluntary, the two required offerings were, one, a sin offering, and that was to make payment for unintentional sins, uncleanliness, neglect, thoughtlessness. And then there was a guilt offering, and that was to make payment for sins against God and sins against others. And along with that came restitution. There was an offering and then restitution. You know, I, I think of that idea of covering. And, and literally as I was really praying and saying, God, give me some, some ideas of how to explain this well, it took me back to this event. 
This happened in a place called Cotui in the Dominican Republic. That's me, and that little boy's name is Johan. Johan was one of the street children who lived in the village in extremely poor circumstances, a mud hut, a little bit of bamboo thatch on the walls, one piece of tin, and then bamboo thatch on the roof. His mother was the only one in the home, along with several other brothers and sisters, and Johan ran free. Uh, There were no schools for him to attend, so he ran all day long and just more or less ran and foraged and did whatever he could do. We brought him into our our program in Kotui, which was a, a learning center. And we started working with him, providing food. And he would come sometimes and and not other times. We would teach the Bible. And then I remember one day as I got to Kotui, and I would spend about six weeks a year there taking different teams in and working on different aspects of of what we were doing there. They came and they said, Johan's cut his hand and it's it's really bad. And I said, really, what what happened? And they said, well, he, he found an old rusty knife. And he was playing with it, and he cut his hand. All around there were rice paddies and uh, agricultural. And so children were dirty and played in the mud. It was just part of where they were. And I said, can you bring him to me? And they said, if we can catch him. After coaxing with some mangoes and I think a few bananas, they got Johan and they brought him to me. And uh, there was a dirty piece of paper wrapped around his hand. And I remember taking that paper off and seeing a festering, oozing mess. I looked at it and I thought, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I sent somebody to the, to the town to buy hydrogen peroxide. I had run out with other children and we got hydrogen peroxide and we tried to clean it. And, and, he, and he bit me one time and took a swing at me another time because he didn't understand what was going on. And then I took some essential oils. Don Bray and Debbie would sometimes provide me with essential oils that I would take overseas. And and I put essential oils on uh, after we cleaned it out. And it was interesting because the, the terrible smell was gone when we put the right essential oils on. It it seemed to help. I remember putting it on every day that I was there and then going and coming back again. And it was infected again. And I, I looked at it and I cleaned it out again and, and it smelled putrid. And I put on the essential oils again and, and it seemed to help. It seemed to be a little bit better. And then I had to go away again and I came back and it was, it was infected again. And I remember when you put the oils on, it smelled better. It didn't seem as bad. It, it, didn't, it didn't seem as putrid. In the end, I had a man on our team who came with me one week who was a doctor. And he said, the only way that we're going to get this right, because it's so infected, it's starting to get into his bloodstream and he'll be dead in weeks if we don't do something. The only way that we can make this work is we have got to cut out that rot. We've got to cut it out. You can put stuff over it as as often as you want to, and it may look better, and it's going to smell better, but the core problem is still there. There's still this, this corruption that is inside. 
And while it might look better and while it might be covered, there's got to be a permanent solution. It took six adults to hold Johan, who was six years old, down. <laughs> six. <laughs> the only time in my life I have ever gotten a child drunk. <laughs> we had to give him something to even get the shot in him to numb it. And we cut that infection out. And I made a pack of sulfur to go on top of it. And we wrapped it. And it took care of the problem. What's that got to do with anything? Well, Psalms 32.1 says this, what bliss belongs to the one whose rebellion has been forgiven, whose sins are covered by the blood. You see, what happened in that old time sacrifice thing was sins were covered. Sins didn't smell as bad and God allowed them to be forgiven at that point in time. But what it didn't do is it didn't deal with what was inside. That sin corruption, that relationship scenario. So when Jesus, the Messiah, came into the world, he said, since your ultimate desire was not another animal's sacrifice, you have clothed me with a body that I might offer myself instead. Now think about this. Years and years and years, thousands and thousands and thousands, maybe millions of sheep, bull, goats. On one occasion, Solomon alone offered a thousand bulls. On one occasion alone, David offered 10,000 bulls. On another occasion, Solomon offered 2,800 bulls. Thousands of animals with their blood removed. Their bodies burned in some cases, depending on the offering, just to cover sin. Why? What was the purpose of it? Why would God do that? What was the original idea? Well, it was to remind people of this. Without me, without my permanent work in your life, there can be no relationship, and I am the source of all restoration. Jesus came to the world and he offered his body. Look at verse 6 in Hebrews 9. God, I will be the one to go and do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, Jesus abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces that entire system with a completely new covenant. And he entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all, not with the blood of animal sacrifices, but the sacred blood of his own sacrifice. And he alone has made our salvation secure forever. By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the blood of the Jesus, the Messiah. What was the difference between an animal sacrifice and Jesus? One covers. 
the other paid for and removed. There's a huge difference. Now, the writer of Hebrews is explaining this to a Jewish group of people who have spent all of their lives wrapped up in sacrifice, 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 peace with God, sin, restoration, sacrifice. And every time they took a lamb, every time they took a goat, every time they took a bull, any time they took a sacrifice, it was a reminder, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And Jesus came to say, I'm going to do away with it all and I'm going to pay for it. You're not going to have it just covered. It's not something that you can put a smell over and the, and the bad smell goes away. I'm going to take it out of you. I'm going to surgically remove it with you by the power of my blood. And so I'm going to do something truly amazing. And, and we see that amazing it, described in Isaiah 53. Oops. All right, hold on. Trying to blank the screen. Can you blank the screen for me? We see this in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. What's a transgression? That's when we, when we go over the line, we step over what is God's right law. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's the continued pattern of sin. The things that we keep going back to, bruised. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment of our sin was upon him. And by his stripes, we are, okay, that's weak. I'm sorry, you got to do better. By his stripes, we are healed. One more time. By his stripes, we are healed. That's the hope that we have. And you see, it's no longer just covering it over. It's no longer reminded every time I'm such a wicked sinner and this blood has to be shed for me because I'm going to keep sinning and every week I'm going to have to come back or every day I'm going to have to come back with another animal and I'm going to have to cut its throat or the priest is going to have to cut its throat and it's going to be burned on an altar and I'm going to be reminded and I want peace with God and so I'm going to do these things and God said I'm going to do away with it all and I'm going to restore what Adam lost by paying for it all, once and for all. And so when Hebrews tells us one time, just one time, I went into the holiest of holies, and I went in there not with blood of goats or sheep, I went in there with my own blood that was perfect, that was spotless, that was the most precious thing there is. And I paid, and I paid. And I paid. And not only did I pay, I took all your punishment. Every bit of anger that God had against that sin, I took. I was beaten. I was brutalized. I was pierced. So there would be no punishment left. I did it all to restore relationships. You know, Satan thought, I've won, I've won. I've corrupted man. I got to Adam and now sin enters the world and now death has come by sin and the result of that sin is every single person now will never be acceptable to God. 
And God said, okay, I set this up very specifically. So by one man entered the world and death by sin. So by the righteousness of one man, (laughs) salvation could come to every single person. Put it back up again if you would. And so Jesus was brutalized. Jesus bled. Jesus was terribly, terribly abused so that the blood offering could be paid for. The punishment could be paid for. The rejection could be paid for. And restoration could happen. What was the result of all that? What was the end result of all of this? Well, the first thing was we all of a sudden now have a family. We are joint heirs with Jesus. The rejection that was before that that was only covered with blood now is gone away. And now we have this joint heir with Jesus where we become part of God's family. Amazing access and part of his family. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and without hesitation. Now now think about that for a second. Who could go in to the holiest of holies? Who was it? Who, who, Who was in the old system? Who was it? The high priest. How often could he go? Once a year. Why did they tie a rope to his leg? Because if he wasn't holy enough, God would strike him dead. And what did Jesus do? Made it so you could go in anytime you wanted. You could stay there in God's presence. That is the restoration, not a covering. That is the, the full payment, not something to make it smell better. For if we continue in deliberate sin, and we're working our way through Hebrews 9 and 10, if you haven't figured that out, we're kind of inching our way through it. So it's a different approach, I know, but it's a lot of material to cover. For if we continue to persist in deliberate sin, after we have known and received the truth, there is not another sacrifice for sin to be made for us. Now you read that and you go, oh my gosh, if I go back and I sin again, God's not going to forgive me. You probably have heard it preached somewhere, not here for sure, but you probably have heard it preached somewhere. Yep, if you just keep in sin, God's never going to forgive it. Remember who the book was written to. It was Jewish people. What had they been taught their entire existence? Sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of sheep, Come and bring your sacrifice to the priest who will offer it up to you and, and get you a temporary covering. Jesus says, look, I, I took care of that. That was the old covenant. I made a new covenant with you. And that new covenant is this. If you will come to me, if you'll come to me with everything and say, God, forgive me. Here is my life. Please take it. If you'll come to me, 
I'll take away that sin. I'll cut it out of you. I will give you a new heart. I will take all of the wickedness away from you, and I'll never count it against you again. But if you go back to that old sacrifice and you live in that old law, you go back to that sacrificing animals to try and pay for what I already did, if you don't believe what I've done for you, then there's no more covering. There's nothing left because there is only one way. And that's through Jesus. Through the work that Jesus did through through Jesus. I remember working and living in the Amazon. I had the opportunity to help with a hospital in the Amazon. It was an amazing thing because it was a long, long way from anywhere. Most people paddled canoes sometimes two or three days to get to a hospital. This was in the middle of the bush in the jungle. Uh, It took us sometimes months to even get materials. We bought rocks one at a time. We bought sand by the buckets. People would, would float canoes full of raw materials down for us to build it. That's how remote it was. And as we got it built and as it began to operate well and people would come in, it was a great thing for a missionary because people would bring their very sick person because you didn't go to the hospital unless you were really, really sick. They would bring them in and their family would come to help take care of them. And then they were there and you could minister to them and you could tell them about Jesus and you could offer them help and solutions that you couldn't get to because they were so remote in where they lived. You just couldn't get to all those places, but they came to you. And so it was this great concept of we will build this thing. They'll come to us for medical and, 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 and physical healing, and we're going to show them the way to heavenly spiritual healing. We noticed people came, and, and we never asked a lot about their background, but some would come, and, and you'd see one with a knife wound, and there'd be another one with bullet hole, and, and, and all kinds of different people, and whoever came, we treated. We, we didn't say, okay, did you get that doing something bad? We, we, that wasn't the way that it was. Whoever came, we accepted, and we ministered to them. After about six months... I remember we went into Colombia. Now, you have to understand that Brazil, Peru, and Colombia all meet right right at one point there at the Amazon. And so it was very close to go to Colombia. We went in to get some supplies. And the first thing that we did was went to a, a, a store to try and buy some building materials. And we selected what we needed, some things that you couldn't get anywhere else, and loaded them up and went to pay. And the guy said, no, 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 you, you can't pay for that. And that's a gift. We want you to have that. That's a gift. And no, we can't take your materials. You're a small business. We can't, we we have to, no, 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 really, really. And and then then we went on to a restaurant and went, sat down and tried to eat. And uh, the owner of the restaurant came out and lavished all of these things on us. We went to try and pay and, and no, 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 you can't pay. No, we won't accept your money. And and everywhere we went, there were these people And anything we asked for, they wanted to give it to us. And it was like, I don't get it. What is going on here? And and then we found out. 
It took a lot of probing, a lot of digging, but some of the people that had come into the clinic and were sewed up and some of the people who had been treated were actually family members of a, of a large drug cartel mob boss. And we had saved one of his sons and didn't know it. And it was so interesting because he put out the word, these people have anything they want. You give them anything they want. You, you, you treat them like gold. Don't anybody touch them. Don't anybody mess with them. And we had this crazy thing going on wherever where we wanted. They would not let us pay. We sent a message and actually encountered the mob boss. Not something you want to do. And we said, we can't. We can't accept this. We treat everybody equal. We don't agree with what you're doing. We can't accept this. When you saved my son's life, your debts forever are paid, is what he said. And we had to force people to take money. Sometimes had to force them to take it under the table to pay for what we rightly owed. Now, that's a bad example but what Jesus did was he took the most precious thing there is, the rarest thing there is, one Jesus, one God, come to earth in human body, puts his God power on a shelf, chooses not to use it, and goes through everything that we go through, every temptation that we go through, choosing not to sin, living with the power of the Holy Spirit. So he could say, someday, you can do greater things than I do, because it was all done with the power of the Holy Spirit. Why he couldn't do any great work in some areas? The Holy Spirit didn't authorize that work at that point in time. And what does he do? He takes the rarest thing, his own blood. What's the effect of that? It is overpayment. It's the rarest thing to pay for something with a known quantity. The wages of sin are death. God took the precious thing of his blood. Why did he do that? He did that so there would never, ever, ever be room for anybody to condemn you. You see, if you accept Jesus Christ's free gift, if you accept what he did, he takes away that sin. That sin is surgically removed from you. He gives you a new heart. He restores that relationship. And from that point on, you are clean. You are acceptable. In the presence of God, you are acceptable. And it's so paid for that nobody can ever come back and say, hey, remember that thing you did? Or, hey, you're a loser. Or, hey, you struggled with that. Or, hey, you're evil. There's no room because it was overpaid for, like paying a million dollars for a stick of gum. That's why he says there is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, even to the called according to his spirit. How do we access this amazing free gift? By the way, we've just been through Hebrews 9 and 10, just so you know. We just covered that in bullet form. How do you access it? Well, it's interesting because Hebrews 11 starts out with this. Now, faith brings our hopes into reality. 
and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. In Hebrews 11, we get this interesting, can you start that? We get this interesting picture. It's all of these people who were under this Old Testament law. All of these people who experienced um, the law, and yet they're called heroes of the faith. They're they're called uh, people of renown. And so you get this list. Is it, it's not playing? That's all right. If it doesn't play, we're, we're good. You get this list, and it all goes to this. Every single one of them, by faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Enoch walked. By faith, Abraham offered And you get this list, by faith, Sarah believed. By faith, Isaac. Every one of them accessed by faith. Old Testament salvation was an action backed up by faith. The blood sacrifice in believing God would accept it. Old Testament sacrifice was a covering. The thing that doesn't change is how we access what Jesus did. It is by faith. What does by faith mean? Well, it means that while you can't understand everything, while you don't fully understand all the details, you believe God will do, has done, what he said he will do. It's that thing where it may not have an outward evidence, but there's an inward belief based on faith. The Bible says that when we do this, when we exercise faith, that God counts it as righteousness, Hebrews 11.6. And without faith... And without faith, living within us, it would be impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith, knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who passionately seek him. The reality of this is interesting. We still face a sin problem. The separation that happened when Adam chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus relationship with God, that still exists in each one of us in a sin nature. The difference is that we don't go and cut an animal's throat and apply blood to an altar through a pastor or through a priest. We have the ability by faith to accept the work that Jesus did. When he died on a cross and then entered into the holiest of holies, the presence of his father, and took the blood and said, here is the payment. Here's the blood payment for every sin ever committed. And God the Father said, everyone that will believe in you, 
I will count it to them as righteousness. I'll take away their sin and they can enter my presence spotless. And so you have this this Romans road that talks us through it for the wages of sin are death. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God demonstrated his love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 10, 9, and believe in our heart that he has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the way that we demonstrate, we exercise faith. And anybody that was justified in the Old Testament was justified by faith looking forward to a day when Jesus would come. And after Jesus came, every person is restored in right relationship with God the Father by faith in Jesus Christ. The question is this. It's a simple one. Has there been a time in your life where by faith, you said, I I don't understand it all. I don't understand it all, but I do understand this. Jesus died for me, and I believe it. And he's willing to take my sin, and I believe that. And so, God, here's my life. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. Here's my life. I give it to you. Please take my sin. Please give me your righteousness. And the Bible says that when you do that, that faith, is counted for righteousness, and it pleases God. Have you done that? Has there been a time that you've done that? I didn't ask if your family had done it. I didn't ask if if you went to church. I didn't ask if you read the Bible. I asked if you've had that encounter with God. It is the start of a relationship. It is all about relationship. It's not some magic words. Oh, I said it and I'm done. It's the beginning of a relationship that transforms us. It's that walking with God again that Adam gave up. Have you done that? It was simple. We went through it. Confess and believe, and you'll be saved. I don't know why, but I get emotional sometimes when when I think of things like this, there are people who go through their entire life and they hear about and they never accept and they're like the Jews who returned to the sacrifice. It was there, it was available, it was ready. And they just didn't do it. They just didn't do it. And if you're here and you're in that position, my heart would fall if I didn't give you an opportunity. I'd like to give you an opportunity to come to know Jesus today, to pray, to confess with your mouth, and to believe in your heart. The confess with the mouth is kind of an outward sign. It's the idea of this isn't something I'm going to do silently because the relationship is real, and if it's real, you're proud of it, and so therefore it should be a public thing. 
I want to give you an opportunity. Kylan's going to play. Um, and if you will, let's stand up for a second. We're going to be done in literally just a minute or two. If you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus and you say, man, I'm feeling something. There's something stern inside me. I don't know what it is. I just feel something. And I need to get more of whatever this is or I need to know more about it. Then I'm going to ask you to do something very brave. I'm going to ask you to walk forward here. Now, walking forward is not what is going to save you. It's that encounter with God. But what it is going to do is it's going to make it known that you're serious. And it's also going to give you an opportunity to talk to somebody who will lead you again through that process and answer any questions that you might have. And so if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're still under that old system. Maybe I can be good enough. Maybe I'll offer something to God. There's no sacrifice that covers you. But if you're willing to meet him today, if you're willing to talk to him today, if you're willing to give him your heart today, then he will surgically remove that sin. And he'll pay for all of it. And you have access to God's presence. And you have a family. You're a joint heir with Jesus. We're going to play just another second. If you're a believer, I'd ask you to pray. I do feel like there's somebody here that's supposed to be coming forward. Come and talk to us. Lord, I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for the love that you have for them and for us. I thank you that you left heaven where thousands of angels sang holy and were at your bidding call. And you came to the lowest position there was, a poor baby, considered illegitimate by those who didn't know the power of the Holy Spirit, raised in a foreign country, Egypt, living a life without sin, facing temptation without sin so that you could be the perfect sacrifice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.